The prophet Isaiah lived and prophesied about 700 years before the birth of Christ. And you'll find throughout this Old Testament prophecy, Isaiah prophesying about the Messiah, the Messiah, the anointed one, the king who would come and save Israel and who would come and liberate them. And also in the New Testament, as you read through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you read about the life of Jesus, you will find a lot of Isaiah's prophecies fulfilled right there in the life of Jesus. Within Isaiah's prophecy about Jesus, the Messiah, are four passages that are called the servant songs. And that's what we've been looking at and are going to continue to look at through Easter. We looked at the first one last week, the idea that, that the servant, uh, who is Jesus Christ, that the servant comes to us and he comes to us as the kingly servant. Uh, he's the one who will bring justice to the nations. And we find that in Isaiah 42. But that same servant in Isaiah 42 reappears in Isaiah chapter 49. But he appears this time as the prepared servant. So you might ask yourself, well, prepared in what way? Well, actually, prepared can have a couple of meanings. Uh, prepare can mean that you make yourself ready. You make yourself ready. The motto of the Boy Scouts and the Girl Scouts, I found out, is be prepared. And what they mean by that is being prepared in mind and body to meet whatever challenges lie ahead. And in the same manner, it's important for Christians to be prepared. Uh, we should be prepared for whatever comes our way. The Apostle Paul, when he's commissioning Timothy, encourages him to be prepared in season and out of season. And Peter admonishes us to always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks. And we, as individuals, have a role to play in that preparation. But there's also another way to look at being prepared. And in that sense, to prepare means to make something or someone ready. As an example, food is prepared. The food does not prepare itself. The chef prepares the food. The chef puts it all together. Jesus said to his disciples in John 14 that he was going away to prepare a place for them. Jesus was going away to prepare a place. The place was not going to pre prepare itself, but rather Jesus was going there to make it ready, to prepare it for those who follow him. And today, as we look at the second servant song, the prepared servant, it's the second meaning that we want to look at today. The idea that the servant did not prepare himself. God prepared him for his task. In the first servant song in Isaiah 42, we find God speaking. God comes and introduces the servant. But in this one, in Isaiah 49, the servant himself brings a report to us. So the servant is speaking in the second one. Listen to what he says in Isaiah 49, verse 1. He says, Listen to me, you islands. Hear this, you distant nations. Before I was born, the Lord called me. From my mother's womb, he has spoken my name. Last week, when God introduced the servant, he said, Here is my servant. Some translations say, Behold, my servant. God's very authoritative. Here he is. Behold, my servant. The servant here, when he speaks, he says with the same authority, he says, listen to me. Listen to me. Well, what are we going to listen to? Well, we're going to listen to the testimony about himself. But Isaiah has some interesting things to say about the servant here. The first one is the, the servant says that he was called by God even before he was born. 
And he also says that his name was spoken by God before he even left his mother's womb. And you might ask yourself, well, how can that be? Well, that's the same question Mary asked the angel in Luke 131 when, she, when the angel said, You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Well, the servant continues in verse 2 of chapter 49. He says, He made my mouth like a sharpened sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me into a polished arrow and concealed me in his quiver. God's preparation for the servant to bring justice to the nations involves making his mouth like a sharpened sword. A sword suggests a sharp and piercing speech. And you may remember from last week, when God introduced the servant, God said that the servant would not yell or he would not cry out in the streets. So is this contradicting that? Not at all. Because sharp and piercing has to do with content, not volume. Listen to what the writer of the Hebrews says. Hebrews 4.12 For the word of God is alive and active. Sharper than any double-edged sword, it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. The polished arrow also relates to speech. A pointed arrow can be lethal from a long distance away. These are the tools that God has given the servant to use in proclaiming and, and getting this message to the ends of the earth. The reference to him being concealed or, or hidden is, is a wonderful part of this passage because it, it speaks to the fact that God has kept him hidden and he's not ready to reveal him until the time is exactly right. It reminds me of Galatians 4.4 4, where Paul writes that when the time had fully come, when the right time came, God sent his son. Raymond Ortland has said that hidden until the time is right, he emerges in history to conquer not by military might or cultural imperialism, but by the force of truth. Verse 3 and 4 of Isaiah 49. He said to me, and here the servant is quoting God, You are my servant, Israel, in whom I will display my splendor. But I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing at all. Yet what is due me is in the Lord's hand, and my reward is with my God. The servant expresses confidence in the fact that God will display his splendor through the servant. And you would think, considering the fact that God had prepared the servant, that God had commissioned the servant, that God had empowered the servant that God had promised to protect the servant, you would think that the report of the servant then would be very just full of, of, of accomplishments, of things that the servant had been able to accomplish. But that's not the report at all. The servant gives a very frank evaluation that there's been difficulty in accomplishing his mission. 
It's not been easy. In fact, the servant even says that he might have failed to accomplish his mission. He says here that he's worked hard for nothing and that he consumed his strength and has nothing to show for it. But you'll notice here, it's just an evaluation. He's just saying how things are. He's not expressing frustration. He's not expressing discouragement. In fact, it's just the opposite. If you'll notice, where he says that he's labored in vain is bracketed between two statements that he makes related to confidence in God. He quotes God, who's saying, you are my servant and I will display my glory through you. But then he also expresses confidence that God is going to accomplish this mission. It's just that God is going to do it in his own time and in his own way. But, but the servant reaffirms his confidence in God, that he has been called and God has prepared him and God's going to do great things through him, but he's just going to do it in his time. And it reminds me a lot of us because God has a task for all of us. Each of us who are believers in Christ have a task. And I know how it is. Sometimes you get out there and you work hard at this task that God has given you. And things just don't seem to be going right. People aren't listening. Things aren't changing. Everything's just like it was. And you work harder and harder and harder. And you get frustrated. You get frustrated. And you get discouraged. But you shouldn't. Because when God calls you to a task, God is going to give you everything you need to accomplish that task. He's not going to leave you wanting for anything to go out and do it. So the call for us is to go and to do it with the tools he's given us. But the reason we don't become discouraged, as long as we are trusting and as long as we are faithful at that task, God's the one who brings about the results, not us. And God does it in his own time not ours. So the key for us is not to become discouraged and frustrated in the work that God has given us to do, but rather we are to be trusting and faithful, knowing that God is going to bring about the result and God's going to do it in his own time. The Apostle Paul, writing to the Corinthians, reminds us of that. He says, always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your work for the Lord is not in vain. Echoes what the servant, what the servant is saying to us. The idea that, that he might think he labored in vain or we might think we labor in vain, but our labor is not in vain because our trust is in God and we are faithful to him. Isaiah 49 verses 5 and 6. And now the Lord says... He who formed me in the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him and gather Israel to himself. For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has been my strength. He says, it is too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light to the Gentiles that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. What God is saying to his servant is, he says, look, I certainly have called you to bring back Judah and to bring back Israel and to restore them. But that task is too small for you. Because what I want you to do is I want you to spread my salvation 
to the ends of the earth. I want you to be a shining light to the ends of the earth. Here's the really neat thing about this. Gary Smith writes, The servant is not just a means of getting God's salvation to the ends of the earth. Somehow, he himself will be God's salvation. That's incredible. God has commissioned his servant to shine the light of salvation to the ends of the earth. But also, his servant is going to become the means by which they can know salvation. Now, how he accomplishes that, we'll see in the next couple of weeks about how he becomes our salvation. But what I want to focus on today is how to get this message to the ends of the earth. Think about Jesus' ministry. Jesus' ministry here on earth, if you look at it on a map, compared to the map of the world, it's a very small area. Jesus' ministry was confined, confined to a very small geographic area when you compare it to the whole world. And Jesus did not go into the whole world. So how is this message that the servant has been commissioned to bring going to get to the whole world, to the ends of the earth? Acts 1, verses 7 through 9. He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes. And a cloud hid him from their sight. After the resurrection and before the ascension back into heaven, Jesus gathers on a hilltop with his disciples. And his disciples are all curious. They, they want to know, is this the time that you're going to usher in your kingdom, Jesus? Is this the time we're going to see it all happen? And Jesus says, look, that, that's not for you to know. That's not for me to know. The Father, Father knows about that. So he wants to get their attention away from that and onto something that's very important. Jesus says, don't worry about all of that. Here's what you need to do in the interim before I return. In the interim, he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. That happened in what we call the day of Pentecost, where the disciples were together and the Holy Spirit came. But after the Spirit comes on you, what are you supposed to do? Jesus tells them. He says, you're to be my witnesses. You're to tell other people about me, about what I've done, about what you've seen, about what you've experienced through your relationship with me. And he tells them, he says, you're to start right here in Jerusalem. And then you're to go into a bigger area, Judea. And then you're supposed to take this message to the people you despise. That's the Samaritans. And then you're to take it to the ends of the earth. The disciples, the disciples are going to carry on 
the mission of the servant until he comes again. In this interim time, Jesus says that they are the ones who are going to go and be witnesses. They are the ones who are going to now be the light to the Gentiles to get this message to the ends of the earth. In fulfillment of the prophecy of Isaiah, of God's message getting to the ends of the earth, these, these disciples, these people who, who followed him, who knew him, are the ones who are to carry on the mission of the servant. The same elements are there. The mission, the light, the salvation, the corners of the earth, the power of the Spirit. All that you hear in the commissioning of the servant, you find in the servant's commission to the disciples and to us to go and be his witnesses. So here's the deal. We are still in that interim time. Those people that Jesus was talking to there on that hillside are in heaven. They have left this earth. So the mission then carries on to followers of Jesus throughout all generations. As long as this interim time goes on before Christ comes back. And guess what? That's us today. You and me. We are the ones who are, are hearing this message that Jesus said to his disciples. That he's going to make us witnesses. Now, here's the good news. The good news is, he's prepared us to do that. He prepared his disciples and consequently, he's prepared us. He told his disciples, he said, I'm sending the Holy Spirit. You'll receive the Holy Spirit. And they did. But for us, when we become followers of Jesus Christ, we receive the Holy Spirit. He comes and he lives in us. So he's prepared us in that way. God's given us his word. He's prepared us by giving us his word. We don't, we don't have to figure out what the message is. We don't have to, to say, well, what am I supposed to tell them? It's there. He's prepared us in that way by giving us his word. And he's prepared us as well by his protection. And all of that comes because the spirit comes on us. The spirit comes on us and, and sends us out. But the spirit also teaches us his word. And the spirit protects us as we go about being his witnesses. God has prepared us. Now, someone suggests that when he says that Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth show that, that the church should have a very balanced mission emphasis. In other words, we should have a good balance of local and state and national and foreign missions. Now, I believe that the church should. I, I really do. The church should have a good balance uh, of mission efforts. But I, I really don't think that's what he's talking about here. I really believe if we want to be true to this story, he's talking about a progressive act, a progression where the, the message goes out. In other words, he's saying to them, beginning right at this moment, and he's saying to us right at this moment, that you are to go to the closest area you find yourself, 
And then that message that you share there is supposed to ripple out like when you throw a, a pebble in a pond and it should keep rippling and rippling and rippling and influencing others beyond your city and beyond your state and beyond your country into all the world. That's, that's what he's talking about here. It's a progressive thing. Beginning where you are at the moment. It's actually a good outline of, of the book of Acts. <laughs> if you think about it, it started in Jerusalem, went to Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth. It's, it's a great outline. And it's a great outline for us. Start where you are. Start where you are. But not just geographically. Spiritually. I don't care where you are in your walk with Christ. I don't care where you are. This is for you. This is for you. When you come to Christ, this is for you. I don't care if you've been a Christian for 100 years and grown every one of those 100 years. It's for you. And I don't care if you just became a Christian yesterday. This is for you as well. That we are, in whatever way we are gifted, in whatever way we are capable, in whatever way God has prepared us, we are to share our story in the way that God has shown us that we need to do it. I've said this before. People feel guilty. They say, well, man, old, you know, John's out there, and man, he's just sharing his faith. He grabs people here and you know, talks to them and, and all that. I, man, that's just not me. Fine. Nothing wrong with that. We're not all the same. We're not all gifted the same. But I will guarantee you that if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, regardless of where you are in your walk with him, he has gifted you to be a witness it may be through your words. It may be through your actions. Hopefully it's a combination of both. It happens at work. It happens at, when you're out in the ball field. It happens when you're coaching your little league team. It, it happens when you're over at the mission serving a meal. It happens all sorts of places where we, through our words and through our actions, are witnesses one way or the other for Jesus Christ. But it's beginning where you are. But the other thing is, don't become so involved in your family that you neglect the rest of the world, but also at the same time, don't become so involved in the rest of the world that you end up neglecting your family. Now, you might say, well, hey, I, I'm good to a certain point, but I, I still don't understand this. How in the world is the message of Christ going to get out to the whole world? How, how, how can that happen? And it's intimidating. But think about it. How many people nowadays have an iPhone or an Android phone or have a laptop or have a computer? Look at the opportunities that are there. This is kind of frightening, actually. But later on this afternoon, the sermon that I'm preaching right now is going to be on our website. And when it goes on our website... Anybody, anybody in the entire world that has an internet connection can listen to what I'm saying right now. The point being, look at what God's given us. Look at the power he has given us to share the word. People say, well, we'll never reach the ends of the earth. Talked to a missionary the other day. He'd just gotten back from Nicaragua and he was amazed. He was up on some little hill in the middle of nowhere in the middle of the jungle. And he made the comment to the, his host. He said, man, I, I wish I could call my wife. And he takes him in his little hut and there's the computer. 
It's amazing. It's amazing what we're able to do if we will just do it. Little things. Little things show your witness. What do you say on Facebook? What, imp- what, what witness do you give with what you write on Facebook? What, what witness do you give in the things that you tweet? Think about it. That's part of your witness. That's part of your witness. So you might want to think <laughs> before you type. How do you react with, with people that you come into contact with when they write back to you and are not very nice? All things to think about. We've been given a great power and a great tool and a great message. <laughs> but we need to be careful how we use it. You know, someone that's involved in, in doing whatever God has called them to do, someone will be very happy in their work and it's going great. And then you'll see someone who is very discouraged. And, and you know, we all get to that point sometimes where we are discouraged but we don't have to be. We don't have to be frustrated because God is in control. God has given us what we need. He has sent us out. He gives us the words. He gives us the method. All we have to do is be obedient, and God himself will take care of the outcome. All we have to do is be trusting and faithful and be his witnesses and shine a light in whatever dark corner we can find, regardless of where that dark corner is. Let's pray.